0: It is uh, exciting to be back here with you all and continue in our uh, study of the book of James. You know, this is a great letter for practical Christian living. James gives us a lot of illustrations and examples for what the Christian life should look like. He gives a lot of commands of, hey, if you're a believer, you should do these things. As believers, you should be able to control your tongue. You, you shouldn't be showing partiality to people, and, and you should be moved to care for those in need. Many of these examples, they're not given so that we know how we can become a Christian. They're given so that we can hold them up and see this is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And so we can read something from James, and then we can look at our own lives and see, hey, does this, does this match up? Is my life keeping with with what James is describing? And today, what we'll hold up and seek to answer is whether or not we are obedient to the Word of God. James says that those who just hear the Word, but never do the Word, are deceived. They're, They're not true Christians because the Word of God has never actually affected their heart. There's never been a life change in them. The issue, and perhaps maybe the scary thing that we should think about, though, is that when you're deceived, you don't often know that you're deceived, right? And so how do we know that we don't fall into this camp of deception? Well, today, James will give us a, sort of a litmus test to understand how we're doing in our faith. He says that there's, there's one group of people who they simply hear the word and they might like what they hear. It's pretty cool that Jesus can save us from hell, so I'm going to buy this ticket of a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm going to continue to live however I want, and then when I die, I'll punch that ticket. But for now, I'll keep living how I want to. And he says, if, if you're living like that, that's, that's deceiving yourself. You're claiming to, to want to get and reap the rewards of salvation, but you're not living like you have been saved. On the other hand, there's a camp of people who come to the Word, and open it. And we truly understand the gospel. We see that we are sinners in need of a Savior and the only way we can receive the salvation is through Jesus Christ who came and lived a perfect life and died on a cross in the place of our sins. This is the only hope we have of salvation and and he paid that, that price for our sins and then was resurrected again so that we might now have a restored relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have been affected by that and recognize that you are a sinner and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then the incredible promise is that we, our eternal destiny has changed. Right? We can receive eternal life. And so if, if we are recipients of eternal life as opposed to eternal judgment, then our present lives should look different in light of that. So today as we are going to be opening the word in James 1, I want to encourage you, if you are not a believer, to consider to to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our only hope of salvation, and then come to this book and meet your Savior and begin to know who He is. If you are a believer, then we have this word that will sustain us to the end. This word is able to save our souls If you're a believer who's going through through trials and tribulations and sufferings, then this is a solid foundation for you. And if you're someone who potentially has struggled with doubt and wondering, is this salvation real? Can I know for sure that God will save me on the final day? Then James gives us a word of comfort today. That as we hold fast to this word, as we seek to obey it in our lives, we can have confidence that it will save our souls in the end. And so I want you all to know this and to be able to leave with this big idea that in Christ we can be confident in our salvation as we seek to hold fast and obey the word of God. Today we're in James 1, 19 through 27. I want to draw four main points. They're all connected to each other and they're all centered around the word of God. We'll see that the Word of God, it begins our salvation and it sustains us all the way to glory. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to James 1. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you, and that's on page 950. We would love to have you turn there with us. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, please take that with you. We truly believe that the Word of God is able to save our souls and it can change your life. So this is James chapter 1, verses 19-27. through 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. These are the words of the Lord. The first thing I want us to see is that as we have been born again, By the word of God, we should be quick to hear it. This uh, discussion, it actually backs up to verse 18, which is where we ended last week. And why we, we need to see it is because it helps set the context for verses 19 through 20, so we can rightly understand them. Verse 18 says this, that of his own will, so this is God's will, he has brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So before we we start thinking about what we need to do, we need to look back and see, look, God has brought us forth. We have been born again by this word of God. And now we can come to verse 19 with a a proper understanding. We typically, we know this verse, right? To to be slow to speak, or excuse me, uh, slow, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we often ap- apply this to our conversations with coworkers or family members, and this is good life advice. It reflects many of the proverbs. Proverbs 10:19 it says that when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. In another place, Proverbs 29:11 it says a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So being quick to listen, being slow to speak, and being slow to anger, this is wise life advice for all of us. But in this context, I think James is taking this this wise way to live a life and applying it to how we should hear the word of God. He's opened the context with this, and then in verse 21, it says we should then receive this word. So these two verses, I think, are just held in this idea of listening and receiving the word of God. And particularly, think about the context of a church that James is writing to. Most people didn't have copies of Scripture, right? They couldn't sit and read together. They might have had one scroll where someone read it, and the rest of the people listened and heard the word read over them. And so James is saying, hey, be quick to listen to what God says. Be slow to speak and give your own thoughts and your own interpretations. Don't quickly get angry when there's something that convicts you or might seem controversial. I think we can often quickly respond to things in Scripture, even subconsciously. Right? Have you ever just kind of made quick excuses when you read a command from Scripture for why that doesn't apply to you? Or in our culture today, there are a lot of people who are angered by what we see in Scripture test yourself on this think about it think of these examples like how do you react when the bible defines gender and sexuality and marriage right many people quickly turn and say the bible's outdated it doesn't understand modern gender theory and so we reject the idea that gender is male and female or it seems oppressive that marriage is between a man and a woman and you really can't experience the full range of humanity if you limit sexual intimacy to within the confines of a marriage. That idea is rejected outright. That's a, that's a huge issue today, right? But this also affects small little things in life. How do you respond when Paul says, put off or don't, don't participate in coarse joking? Is there a quick mental excuse of, I'm just joking around with the guys? Man, this is how I've been building rapport with some of my coworkers or classmates. We're just we're just having fun. When you hear the command, honor your parents, is your first response? Yeah, but you don't know my parents. I I understand life is not black and white, right? Situations they're complicated but if we always approach scripture with with a list of quick excuses and we never obey anything we read then pretty quickly our life looks rather lopsided and we need we truly need this word to change our lives because verse 20 it says that the anger of man it doesn't produce the righteousness of God so if i continue to try to define what's good for my life and i continually reject what god has said for me I will never be able to reflect his good character. And the truth is, I don't know what's best for my life. Have you ever gotten to a point in life, uh, maybe a low point, and you look back and you realize what led you down that path were your own decisions? Right? I'm, I'm not wise enough to be the captain of my own life. I need to be quick to listen to the one who has created me and knows what is best for me. His words will last forever and even if in following these words lead you to trials and suffering and yes even death if you are in christ following these words and even death can be gain and victory if you are in christ and so i want to ask us today as we're studying james and, and for the rest of the semester would we all be quick to listen to the word of god Slow to give excuses, slow to buck up against what God has said in his word. And so I want to ask, as we're going through James, which is just full of commands for us, would your first question be, God, is this for me? Is there a way that I can be obedient to this command, as opposed to giving a quick excuse of, that's not for me right now? I get you can't by yourself do everything here in the book of James, but... I hope collectively as a church that everything we read, we see displayed here at King's Church. And so I want to give us just a few seconds of silence really quick for us to be still and to humble our hearts so that we would be quick to listen to whatever God has called us to. So do you just take a moment and ask the Lord and say, God, I am willing to obey whatever you call me to do as we are studying through the book of James give you just a few seconds. Father, you truly know what is best for our lives. Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow us to be quick to hear your word. God, we would be slow to give excuses and defenses for our own opinions and thoughts. Would your spirit bring conviction to our hearts? Would you, would you change our lives? And would we, would we seek to God be obedient to what we see in your scripture? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So now as we hear the word of God, would we work to prepare our hearts to receive it? I think we all know there's a difference right between hearing or just listening to something and actually comprehending and understanding and applying it in our lives. And this point is flowing out of verse 21 where we're commanded to receive with meekness the implanted word. This idea of implanted it means it's it's from within it's deep down it's not something that that we acquired or we bought or so. Something that we were able to just get for ourselves, but it was placed there. The idea of implanted, it's also not something that's there naturally for all people, but it has been placed by somebody. And that somebody is God. We saw that in verse 18, that he has brought us forth by the word of truth. And this was prophesied a long time ago in Jeremiah 31, 33, where God says that, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So God has brought us forth by the word of his truth, and now he's speaking in verse 21 to believers to say, continue to receive this word, for this word is able to save your souls. James kind of has, right, this already not yet view of salvation. Where yes, there is a point where you are justified by God. But as we are believers, we also have a responsibility to begin receiving this word as we look and await this day of salvation for our souls in glory. And so what gets us from new birth by the word until final glory? And James seems to point out that it is receiving the word of God. For this word is able to save our souls. So, how do we do that? How do we get the word from from our brains that we hear into our hearts so that we can receive it? It it takes some work. I want to highlight two things from verse 21, and I've kind of attached an analogy of of preparing a field or or trying to plant in a field. And the first thing, if you're trying to to scatter seed and, and receive a harvest, is you have to work the soil, you till the ground, you remove rocks and weeds and unwanted things. And so similarly, if, if we want to see growth and we want to be able to receive the word in our hearts, we also have to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, as it says in verse 21. This idea of, of putting away, it's, it's taking off an old garment and discarding it and walking in a new life. We're getting rid of our old ways of thinking or our old opinions and saying, God, would you lead me how you call me to? So we have to prepare our hearts as we're ready to receive this word. And then the second thing is in order for something to grow, right, it needs a right condition. You can have a beautiful looking field, but if you're trying to grow orange trees in North Dakota in February, it's not going to work well. Right, And similarly, if we come to, to the Word with our own thoughts, and we're never willing to humble ourselves and, and hear what God has to say for us, I don't think we can accurately or rightly receive the Word. And so that's why it says that we must receive this with meekness. Now, meekness, I think, is an often misunderstood word, and it's not highly valued. And it's all because it rhymes with the word weakness. Right? We read meekness, and you think, okay, as a, as a Christian, you're just a pushover. You, you check your identity at the door. You come in, and you're a one-dimensional robot who obeys all these rules that God sets for you. And that's not meekness at all. I want you to think of meekness as this idea of controlled power. Right? It's allowing, it, it's, it's you as an individual with your giftings and your passions coming to God and saying, God, would you use me however you want? It's allowing him to, to, to place a bridle on you and direct you as he will. Right? Think of like a horse. You can have a wild horse with all his strength, and if he is wild and bucking, he's not useful. And if you can tame that horse and put a jockey on him, then he can be a powerful racehorse for good. That, that power is being controlled. So meekness, it is allowing the Lord to use your strengths for his glory. This might be hard to do. It might be looking like giving up your plans for your life and saying, God, would you lead me wherever you you want? Meekness, it takes humility. It's willing to receive correction, those proddings as God is directing us where he wills. I think a lot of people might do the good work to prepare a field but never are willing to actually receive the word of God. Think of the Pharisees right? Outwardly, they probably had a really good looking field. They set up rules so that they wouldn't ever uh, make mistakes. Yet, when Christ comes, he says that they completely miss him in the scriptures. John 5, 39, 40 says that you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So again, do we come to God and say, I'm ready to to learn the word, but here's my interpretation and I know what's right. Are we meek and humble and ready to receive whatever God has to tell us? So a final sub point uh, for this idea is that we also have to give time to ourselves to receive this word, right? We we also must fight and be diligent to wake up early, early to spend time in the word, It might mean going to bed early so that that time in the morning is profitable. I would encourage us to fight for that time in the word. Hold fast to it, for it truly is able to save our souls. But this receiving of the word, it doesn't just stop there. right? James quickly moves on to say that as we receive the word of God, we must obey the word of God. So brothers and sisters, to only ever receive the word... And do nothing about it is to deceive yourselves. We must be doers of the word. right? If you plant an orange tree, you're expecting to see oranges. God has planted his word in us. It's been implanted. And so we should rightly expect to see fruit bearing or consistent with that word. Those who receive Jesus as their savior should also obey him as their lord. However, this isn't always the case, right? Many people, they can hear the word, they might reject it. They abandon it for pleasures of the life. They might cast it aside when times get hard. Or they might be people who diligently study the word, and yet they never let it change or apply their lives. Some people like the idea of Jesus. They say, I will accept Jesus as fire insurance as long as I don't have to change my life. That sounds pretty good to me. And so James gives us an example for what that person looks like. He says it's someone who who comes to the mirror, he looks, but then he leaves and he immediately forgets what he was looking like. And when I first read this passage, I was excited. I was going to start gearing up to talking about scripture memorization. I'm glad Jordan already hit it for us. Because I truly think scripture memorization is invaluable to store the word of God in our hearts. However, you can memorize the whole Bible and completely miss the point. Right, look back at that we have a hearer and we have a doer. The hearer, he doesn't just pass by a mirror. right? It says he looks intently into it. So the hearer looks intently and studies. The, the doer, he looks intently and he studies. It's what happens next that is different. One of the biggest differences is first, the hearer, it says, he leaves the mirror while the doer perseveres would we never leave this book? We never graduate from the gospel. We need it at every single point of our lives, right? We, we say uh, the gospel is what saves us at this point of justification, but then we can tend to then abandon that as we seek to, to do all these good things to sanctify ourselves. And I want to be careful too, as we're talking about James, we keep going over commands of what we should do. And, we're doing that in light of gospel truth and gospel change. right? That The gospel is just as necessary as sanctification as it was for that initial point of salvation. So we, we can never leave the gospel. Any efforts to obey the word, it is all through uh, the empowering Holy Spirit. But will we never leave this. The other thing that this person does, so he leaves the law, and he never puts into practice what he sees in the mirror. He forgets. It's like, again, he comes to the mirror. Think of it, you're at, at dinner and you go into the bathroom and you, you're washing your hands and you look in the mirror and you see, oh my goodness, there's something in my tooth. Like, it's been there this whole time, that looks awful. I'm really glad I saw this. And then you just go back. Right? And it's either maybe you just didn't want to, you thought that just seeing it was good enough. Or hey, sometimes flossing hurts, right? It causes you to bleed. And so you don't, you don't do anything about it. And that's kind of a ridiculous example, but I think it is so easy for this to be true spiritually in our lives. Right? That you can open the word, you can look and you go, that's my sin. It's staring back at you and you go, that's me. And then you close the Bible and you do absolutely nothing to change that. I've been a part, right, of some accountability groups where you sit around and you're effectively saying, messed up again this week, I'm a sinner, I'll see you next week and I'll confess the same thing. Right, that, that doesn't display a heart that's been changed by the word of God. Would we strive then to be like the second person who he also studied the law. It says he, He's looking into it, he's gazing into this well of living water He's one who has prepared his heart to receive this word. He knows that this word is able to save his soul, and so he is clinging to it as a lifeline. And he is humbly with meekness saying, God, would you change me? Show me a command. God, would I be obedient to this? This is the mark of a true disciple, one who does the word. Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. In the next chapter, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Do you want to be counted as a friend of Jesus? Then obey the law of liberty. And real quick, right, the law of liberty, that almost sounds like an oxymoron. It's like rules of freedom. It doesn't really make sense until we think back to Exodus that we studied last semester. And do you remember when the law was given? It was at Mount Sinai, and this was after the incredible salvation event of Israel passing through the Red Sea, which defeated the Egyptians. So the law, it wasn't ever given for salvation, but it was given to a saved people so they might know how to live in this newfound freedom. God gave the law then, and he gives us commands now to show us the proper boundaries for our life so that we might flourish according to his design. True freedom, it really is found when we are living according to God's design, for he is our creator and our designer, and he knows what is best for us. And as we do these things, there's a promise of blessing, or to be blessed in verse 25. This is also echoed in in John 13, 17, where Jesus says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, this this doesn't mean, hey, if you obey these things, you get a lot of stuff. You get financial blessings and health blessings. What he's saying is, as you obey God, you will be blessed in whatever you do. The word blessed, it's, it's being joyful, being happy. There's joy and satisfaction to be had when we live according to God's design. For when something is used according to its design, right, it's most—it's the most efficient. Think of like a husky dog who gets to pull a sled. That's a lot of hard work and a hard atmosphere and environment. But huskies are bred to do that, and there is nothing they like to do more than to be uh, chained or tied up and then told to mush, and they go. Right? That is their joy because that's what they're supposed to do. And so when we live according to God's design, there is joy and satisfaction to be found. There is blessing in obedience. And as we receive this blessing, we can also be a blessing to others around us. And this is the final thing that we'll hit on today, that as we obey the word of God, we then can display God's character to the world. This occurs through practicing pure and God-honoring religion. Religion, it's here for James, it's the idea, it's a public outworking of our personal faith. As we obey, how do we affect those around us? And James is saying that we should reflect God's character to to those um, who are in need around us. He gives us three practical examples for what this should look like in our life. It's not exhaustive, so it's not everything, but it is necessary. Right? If these marks are missing from our church, then I don't think we necessarily would have a religion that is pleasing to the Lord. The first one, uh, he is stated in the negative. James says that uh, if anyone thinks he is religious, but he does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is worthless. This person, he's deceived because his heart And his mouth are on two separate planes. In Matthew 12, verses 33-37, Jesus says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will give account for every careless word they spoke. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus puts a heavy emphasis on our words, and it's because it reveals what is truly in our hearts. If someone claims to be religious and good, yet they have foul and crass and careless speech, they've deceived themselves. They're claiming to be something uh, internally that is not evident externally through their words. So if there's a disconnect between what we claim to believe and the words that come out of our mouth, then our religion is worthless. On the other hand, religion that is pure, that is God-honoring, is to visit the orphan and the widow. And this honors God because it reflects His character. Our God is one who moves toward the helpless, the fatherless, the widow, and the brokenhearted. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 20. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. He is great, the mighty, the awesome, who is not partial and takes no bride. God is above all, yet he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing, so our response, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Psalm 68.5 says that God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Our God is a good father who moves toward those in need. And we should reflect this. The book of James, it only refers to God as father three times. The first was around verse 18, where it says that we were brought forth. So we've been born again by our father, right? And now this is the second time that it's used. And it's the idea that there should be a family resemblance, like father, like son. As God moves towards the weak and the helpless, so should we. And this word visit, it's not just a passing stop by and sit in a a sitting room and have a chat. It's to go and insert yourself into this situation and meet them where they are. It reflects Jesus Christ who came down into our sinful and helpless estate and took on flesh and then was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedience that reflects the character of God, it could be costly and require great sacrifice. But as we do this, we display the sacrificial love that we have already received. And so would you be quick to hear? Examine yourself to potentially take an obedient step that might be difficult. I don't know what you might be called to do. Right, We have multiple members here at King's Church, and we are all gifted in different ways that God wants to use for his glory to reach the helpless around us. Just in particular, though, focusing on widows and orphans. At Kings, we, we have a lot of shut-in members, many of whom are widows or widowers. And, and it has been a joy to see small groups adopt some of these shut-in and elderly members and love them and pray for them and care for them and visit them. Right, This doing so, and for those of you who have really been leading and spearheading this effort, you are pleasing to the Lord. You have exhibited pure religion that is honoring to God. Yet we can still grow in this area. Right? And another area is, is caring for orphans. Has God put it on your heart to potentially consider adoption, a big, costly, financially act of obedience? Or perhaps maybe you can just find a way to, to go serve students or, or children who don't have parents at home and or who are at an after-school club. You can go and teach and be there with them. And there's an entire another population that is so prevalent today. That is is the the children who never even have a chance at life. Would we stand up for them as well? We're partnered with Love Life here at King's Church, and maybe this, this is an opportunity for you to step, take a next step, to stand up for life in the womb, to find ways that you can serve people who are in great need. And our final marker of a pure religious person is one who is unstained from the world. Again, we should reflect God's heart through, through our actions and through our service. And we also should reflect His divine character through our own personal holiness. Remember, the anger of man, our own strivings, our own ways, it does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, the world and those who are living according to God's design will look radically different. Does your life look markedly different from the world? Or... Have you just been so ingratiated in different things and you haven't been careful about what you watch or what you listen to or who you hang out with that the world has begun to rub off on you and you look more and more like the world rather than your Father in heaven? Are you called today to remove yourself from a situation, from something that you really enjoy doing in order that you can become more like your Heavenly Father? A lot more can be said about each of these topics, But James kind of quickly introduces them because we're going to return to all of them again. He he mentions the tongue in chapter 3. We'll talk about uh, moving towards the helpless in chapters 2 and 5. And we'll also again address worldliness and personal holiness in chapter 4. So we'll come back to these, but for now he is painting this picture of what pure religion and genuine obedience looks like. It reflects God's character to the world and it affects our entire being, our mouths, our hands, and our hearts. I'll go ahead and call our band back up as I I conclude. But our prayer for King's Church is as we are going through this book of James that we want to be a church who displays the character of God to this world. We can do this as we continue to live in obedience to what he has called us to do. Will this obedience flow not out of a sense of obligation, but from meek hearts that have been changed and affected by the received word. And so would we dedicate ourselves to time in the word so we might receive and hear what God has to say for us? With the word of God, would we hear it, receive it, obey it, and display it to the watching world? And if so, we can then have confidence in our salvation. For this word has taken root in our life, and there is fruit that is evident. James often references the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to close today with the closing remarks of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. This is Jesus. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew against and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Brothers and sisters, would we all hold true to the word, build our lives upon it and hold and cling to it for this word is able to save our souls. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do just... Rejoice in this word, God, that by the word of truth you have brought us forth and given us new life. Lord, I pray that we would all then be quick to hear what you have to say. God, give us the, the humility, the meekness to be controlled and turned whichever way you would call us to. Lord, as, as the word gets rooted in our heart, God, would it bear fruit in acts of obedience Lord, would King's Church be used as your hands and feet to go towards the helpless and the hurting here in Charlotte and in the nations all over. It is in your name we pray. Amen.